Chris Campbell, and welcome back to the Food Institute podcast. This week, we have Jim Garner, CEO of Allergenis, with us, and we're going to be taking a look at food allergens and how they impact those with the allergy, but also the families that support them. We're going to be taking a look at current testing methods and how the Allergenis solution might be revolutionary for a number of reasons. I'd also like to thank Allergenis for sponsoring this episode. If you take a look in the description of this episode, you'll see a bunch of information about them, and I really, really suggest you take a look at it. But I don't want to waste too much time here. I know we have a lot to talk about. So, Jim, welcome to the show. I was hoping you could start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Allergenis. Absolutely, and thanks for having me. So, yeah, my name's Jim Garner. I'm the CEO of Allergenis. I've been in life sciences my whole career, primarily in diagnostics almost always in a complex indication like food allergy and always bringing new technologies to answer difficult questions around diagnosis. And I think that's probably a perfect little segue to move into a little bit of a talk about what Allergenis is and what you guys are doing over there. So can you tell us a little bit about the company? Yeah, Allergenis was formed to address identifying food allergies, primarily in kids, but also in adults. And again, a difficult uh, indication to get clear answers around, uh, and not a lot of innovation has been brought to bear to food allergy. So Allergenis was formed to change that. We started in 2017, but also based on about 20 years of research out of Mount Sinai. And we now have uh, tests in market addressing peanut allergy, and we're about to launch another assay to address milk allergy, again, primarily in kids, but also in adults. Yeah, and I think a good thing to do right now is maybe just to highlight this problem. I know food allergens, you know, anyone in the food industry understands it's a problem, but I think unless you have a family member or you yourself actually has one of these food allergens, you can't really understand how disruptful it can be to your daily life, right? So let's talk right. a little bit about food allergies right now. Um, how many people in the nation are estimated to have a food allergy in the current day? In the United States, there's about 32 million Americans diagnosed with a food allergy. There's about 6 million kids. That's one in 10 Americans, one in 13 kids. And if you break it down into the school, that's really about one to two in every classroom. So it's a, it's a widespread problem. And those are the individuals that are impacted, but because it's around food, it's around our diets, everybody in the family is impacted. So when, when one person has a food allergy, everybody at the table is impacted. And when you talk about special occasions and family gatherings, like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter coming up, everybody at the table, everybody in the room is impacted when somebody has a food allergy. It's estimated that it could be as high as 85 million Americans are impacted, or their diet is impacted, or their restaurant choices, what they buy at grocery stores, family recipes. It's about 85 million Americans are impacted when you talk about food allergy. Yeah, and those numbers are pretty staggering. Like I said, it's almost like a silent kind of issue, um, but we're really talking about almost 10% of the U.S. population having one of these food allergies. You talked a little bit there about what daily life is like for consumers with food allergies, talking about the holidays, everything else there. But I'm wondering if you could maybe dive into this a little bit more. I would like to kind of bring out the human element here. If you're a family that's contending with a food allergy, if you are an individual, either an adult or child that's dealing with this, what is your daily life like? How disrupted is it compared to, you know, I don't want to go too crazy here, but considering a normal American that's not dealing with this kind of food allergy, you know, how disruptive would you say that kind of phenomenon is? Yeah, because it's food, it's, it's quite disruptive. I don't miss a meal and I rarely miss a snack and I don't have to worry about what I'm ingesting. I don't have to worry about what I'm putting in my mouth, but somebody with a food allergy has to worry about it all the time. 
it's it's similar to being allergic to a bee sting and having a bee hovering around your head 24 hours a day every day and you don't know when that bee's going to sting you and because it's food again we we participate in all of these social events and birthday parties and family meals but also kids going to school or kids wanting to go to summer camp and this specter of this bee sting or peanut reaction or milk reaction, this specter is really haunting, particularly for the caregiver. It, it's been well documented that a mom and a dad are far more anxious about a child's food allergy than the child is. And it's because of the careful and very strict vigilance that has to be practiced to make sure your child doesn't ingest something that they might die from a reaction. And Anytime our bodies are told to avoid something, there has to be some level of anxiety evoked. If you're told to avoid a car as you're crossing a street, you have to be very aware of cars now crossing the street. As an adult, if you have a shrimp allergy, it's relatively easy as an adult to control what we ingest. And you know when you go to dinner, you know when you go to a cocktail party, you're not going to have shrimp. But when it's a child and they go to a birthday party and you're not there, you don't know if they're going to, if they're going to sneak a cookie, if they're going to sneak a bite of cake. So this very strict vigilance is quite impactful every day and not all day, but every time there's food around. And the best way to treat a food allergy is to avoid the antigen. And that really creates an issue with the current diagnostics because they're not accurate. The current blood test has about a 50 to 60% false positive rate. And in some foods, it's even higher, like in milk, in cow's milk, it could be as high as an 80% false positive rate. And the pandemic taught us a whole lot as a society about diagnostics. When we went through COVID testing, people started to understand the impact of a false negative answer or a false positive answer. But if you've been told that your little girl can't have milk, baked milk, dried milk, dairy, yogurt, ice cream, a glass of milk, butter, if you've been taught that your daughter has to avoid milk and it's a wrong answer, you've gone through a tremendous lifestyle change, a tremendous effort at the grocery store to find products that don't have milk or egg. Peanut, it's kind of easy to avoid, except when you start talking about cookies and cakes so this idea that all of this vigilance might be around a false positive has really created a lot of awareness and a lot of desire and, and pursuit of a better diagnostic test. And that's why our company was formed. That's what we're set out to revolutionize is, is a much more accurate blood test. The gold standard for diagnosing a food allergy is called an oral food challenge. Let's go back to that bee sting. So Imagine you put a bee in a jar, you shake up the jar, and then you put the jar on your arm and wait for the bee to sting you. If you react, you're allergic to bees. If you don't react, you're not allergic to bees. A food allergy is the same kind of a provocation challenge. You've been told your little boy has a peanut allergy, but to actually diagnose it, you're gonna take him into an emergent setting and you're gonna ask him to eat peanuts. And there might be a reaction. If there is a reaction, the staff will be trained and ready to stop that reaction, but there's still that risk. So for that reason, it's commonly avoided. So people are reliant on these blood tests 
that were developed about 45, 50 years ago and no innovation and really just poorly uh, performing asset, poor, poor, poorly performing kind of a diagnostic back to COVID. It's why would you even do the test if you have that many false positives? Yeah. And I mean, I'm not a parent, but I could imagine bringing your child in for one of these, you know, assay tests where they're going to be purposely introducing, you know, your child to something that might get them sick. It's kind of got to be very scary, almost seems cruel in some ways. I know that overall, you know, you're, you're trying to do something good for the child, but just the fact that they're going to have to go some, through something that's kind of traumatic, you know, to me, it seems like that's a real good reason for a lot of parents to say, hey, we'll just stick with this blood test that may not be super accurate. But, you know, I can see a lot of parents looking at the dynamic and saying, hey, I'd rather just change my lifestyle than put my kid through that. So, you know. I think that's probably part of the reason why, you know, you have such an interesting solution here. Um, and I think we could talk about that a little bit. I'd love to talk about the allergenic solution, how it differs from the blood test and that, um, you know, relay of different introducing, you know, basically introducing all those allergens. Can you tell us how yours is different and how, you yeah. know, it's a little bit more accurate? Absolutely. So first of all, we're harnessing the most innovative technology and diagnostic testing available. Um, this platform was really perfected about 10 years ago, but about five years ago, we went through the process of validating the assay, going through very rigorous scientific validation and not very many blood tests go through that rigor. Um, our hallmark is really the accuracy of the test as it's compared to clinical reactions. When the current blood test and skin prick tests are negative, they're quite meaningful. And we have the same uh, value of a negative test. When, when those tests come back as not allergic to peanut, you can, you can really count on the fact that you're not gonna react to peanut. But those other tests, as I described, when they're positive, it's like a flip of the coin. You don't know if there's gonna be a reaction or not. And our blood test correlates to the clinical reactivity as high as 95%. So when we come back positive, 95, with 95% confidence, you're gonna react to peanut. And we go one step further, the current, blood tests don't have any kind of a risk assessment or risk stratification. So everybody is told strict avoidance is how you have to deal with this affliction. And it's not the case for everybody. There's a wide range of reactivity. Some people are very sensitive to peanut or milk and have to practice strict avoidance, but others are highly tolerant of their food allergen. And I like to say with peanut, some people can eat all the popcorn out of a box of Cracker Jacks and not react. They can't eat the peanuts, but they can have all the popcorn. Without our blood test, there's no way to know whether or not somebody has that level of tolerance. And our assay, because of the techniques that we've used and the access that we've had to very well characterize clinical trial data, we know that we can report out confidently this risk stratification. And it's very meaningful for individuals and families some kids go to ice cream parlors for the very first time because we've revealed to the family that they're not at risk for cross-contamination. Some kids start eating food that's labeled may contain peanuts. It doesn't contain peanuts. It might contain peanuts, but there's no risk of reaction from cross-contamination. So this kind of risk stratification is very liberating. It's also quite helpful in clinical trials. So I described that oral food challenge today to get into a clinical trial for a therapeutic that's meant to be curative, the individual has to fail an oral food challenge, meaning they have to go through the clinical procedure and react. That's how they get into the trial. So our blood test is going to help in clinical trial execution and enrollment 
so that that oral food challenge isn't the entry requirement because we're able to stratify which patients are very sensitive, which patients are very tolerant. And it really helps the therapeutic manufacturers to develop therapeutics that are going to be meaningful. And I think one of the things that really interested me when you first told me about this platform is the fact that you're using AI and machine learning to help you along the way in that process. Um, over the weekend, I actually saw an interesting article. It's kind of off the uh, the topic here, but you know, as a woman with breast cancer, and like AI was able to determine that she was going to develop it about four years earlier. So obviously, consumers are really starting to get their first taste of what AI and machine learning are. You know, ChatGPT is getting huge. I'm wondering, what's the allergenist take? How are you utilizing this kind of technology with your platform? So that's, it's very important. The, uh, the platform is based on something called epitope mapping. And what that is specifically is looking at a, an amino acid chain and understanding where does the antibody bind to that specific amino acid chain. So all foods are made out of proteins and the protein is what's, what triggers the, the allergic response, but it's not to the whole protein. It's to a very discrete amino acid chain, very small amount of amino acid actually is the biological reason for the reaction. But we use a, a platform which generates a large amount of very complex data, which is ideal for machine learning and AI. And it's like facial recognition. There are numerous features that a food allergy and epitope mapping provide, which actually enables, like you said, with the breast cancer uh, example, it enables personalized medicine. And that's how we were able to stratify the population. So we can discern between somebody who's very sensitive to peanut versus somebody who's very tolerant to peanut. But even more important than this approach to personalized medicine, we're amassing millions of data points as we do the development and the commercial testing of people with peanut allergy and then soon milk allergy. And we're putting all of this data into very large databases so that it'll enable really a widespread use of machine learning and AI to be able to look more closely at food allergy in general. And that includes racial diversity, as well as social economic diversity, where people are treated, how they react to peanut, how they react to therapies. So it's quite a relevant uh, topic to talk about how we're harnessing these new advanced data, these new advanced data uh, handling techniques. And we already talked a little bit about, you know, the increased um, accuracy with the allergenesis test. To me, I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but with utilizing AI and machine learning, it seems like it'll probably get even more accurate as you add more data and you allow more, you know, opportunities exactly for right. it to grow, right? That's exactly right. And as people continue to report back to us the clinical outcomes, as well as tied to therapeutic responses, that's right. We'll be able to continue to refine and enhance the, the results of the test. So I think what I would like to talk a little bit towards the end here is just use cases for the allergenist product. We talked a little bit about how it will improve a family's life, how it can be utilized in diagnostic testing for the food industry. I wonder if we can dive into that a little bit more. And I'm wondering just, you know, from your vantage point, how much easier does the solution make life for those people? You know, we'll just start on that level for the family, not having to deal with all those tests. How much easier is this test compared to, you know, what's happening right now in allergy testing? Well, the, the ambiguity is what poses the difficulty. So if, if when people start to understand that there is a false positive rate, they'll start to think and challenge the answer that they've been given. So they need to go out and pursue a better answer. That's also difficult. Allergists, uh, there are not uh, 
there are not hundreds of thousands of allergists. There's only about between 500 and 1500 allergists that actually specialize in treating people with food allergies. That creates an access problem. So trying to get a better answer means you're, you, you might even need a second opinion or a third opinion, in some cases, a fourth or a fifth opinion to try to pin down better answers with the current tools. So the allergists that are using our test, we're starting at, as soon as we see that patient, we're starting with the accurate diagnosis and we're starting with that reactivity threshold. So we, we really are providing much quicker answers to get to this point of having the accurate diagnosis. And in terms of how it impacts other uh, folks outside of the families with food allergies, we could talk about the food industry because of labeling, there are all kinds of issues around what does a product have or not. And as we're driving this information around somebody knowing how much is safe to eat, they're going to look at labeling differently. They're going to, they're going to want to know, well, it says may contain peanut, but does it actually contain, contain peanut? And it's also a, a very widespread problem outside of even labeling. Restaurants and grocery stores are impacted by people now knowing how much is safe to eat. And because we talked about this earlier, because it's food, there's so many industries that are impacted, like the travel industry, not just airlines, but also hotels. We know that families are targeting airlines that are food allergy friendly and also boycotting airlines that are not. Same for hotels. There's a lot of information being shared about which hotels are accommodating for food allergy families. And you would expect summer camps and schools to be highly aware and high, highly cognizant of that. But now even the travel industry is impacted by having to deal with food allergies. And the more people know their thresholds, the more they're going to be asking very specific questions about how much is in this food product. Even looking at a menu today, you could look at a menu and, and see in every section of the menu, which is a gluten-free product and which is not. But at the bottom, it says, if you have a food allergy, please tell us. It, it doesn't go back and say which products have milk, which products have peanut, but that's coming. And it, the, the, it's coming because people are going to be made aware of these thresholds. That's one of the things we're very focused on providing, making sure people understand how much is safe to eat and how much is likely going to trigger a reaction. Yeah. And I mean, obviously from our vantage point in the food industry, very interesting to see that kind of level of accuracy, but also the, you know, going down into the minutia, being able to see, Hey, I have a peanut allergy, but it's not to the point, you know, to your Cracker Jack's example, being able to eat the popcorn in there, or even sitting at a restaurant, you know, this facility might also, you know, work with, you know, soybeans and I might have some kind of sensitivity to that. Right. So having those kinds of, you know, data points, I do agree with you. I think we'll see more of that on menus and it does seem like your test will be, you know, a perfect opportunity for consumers to get to the point where they can say, Hey, this is the tolerance I have. This is what I'm going to be able to eat. And I can imagine that really, you know, liberates a lot of people and opens up their social calendars. You know, it really is like, there's a human aspect to this too. I think uh, that I think we touched on, but instead of just the science, you know, I think it really does help out a lot of people. And I think a lot of the food industry needs to be ready for this because I do think we're going to see more, you know, to your point, gluten-free, all those attributes we see on menus already, I think we will see, you know, peanut and other allergen kind of information being presented because I do think a lot of people in the industry are looking to, you know, meet these consumers where they want to be. It's just that they don't necessarily have the tools right now to help them. That's right. And it's very difficult. It's very difficult to practice strict avoidance. I talked about an adult and avoiding shrimp. That's far easier. But imagine not lactose intolerance, or not just saying I'm going to alter my diet and reduce dairy, but imagine you have to 
completely eliminate dairy from your diet. That's very difficult lifestyle. So as people start to understand their tolerances, that lifestyle change doesn't have to be that dramatic. So Jim, once again, thank you for spending some time with us today on the Food Institute podcast. I know you're currently uh, in the middle of some fundraising, so I was hoping you could share a, a little bit more about that with us too. You bet. We are fundraising through a Reg CF initiative, Regulation Crowdfunding Initiative. We chose Start Engine as our funding portal, and folks that are interested in learning more to, can go to allergenist.com and be directed to that Start Engine portal. And again, we'd welcome anybody's involvement in investing in us at this time. Jim, I really want to thank you for your time today. This is a huge issue. And like I said at the top, you know, it's almost like a hidden issue. I know people understand that there are food allergens out there, but when you hear that about 10% of the population is directly contending with it, and then you have, you know, almost double that a little bit more, uh, you know, obviously with families also dealing with it, it's a major issue. So I want to thank you for, you know, taking the time to develop a better product that can help people out with this. And I'm really wishing you guys the best. I think it's a uh, awesome product, awesome idea. So like I said, really wishing you guys the best. Thanks a lot, Chris. And we're very excited about the technology and more so how it's impacting individuals and families. It's very fulfilling, very validating to be able to talk to folks that are getting clear answers from our technology. So I think that's going to do it for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. Once again, thanks to Allergenist for sponsoring this episode and for Jim spending some time with us. Really, really suggest you take a look at the links in this description to learn more, but we'll catch you next time. This is Chris Campbell signing off. Music.